Hello and welcome to episode 169 of Q&A Quest. Uh, filling temporary primary hosting duties. Uh, this is David McBurney, Family Master, and with us as always... Your man in Japan, Michael Baker, Gaiji Monogatari. And Wheels has been towed to parts unknown. Hopefully he will return eventually. So, how's it going? What's been up? What you been playing? <laughs> well, I, I don't know if you saw it on Twitter last night, but I actually managed to beat the final boss of Dandy Dungeon. Oh, nice. That was on something the, that had been dogging, yeah. On the sixth official attempt at the boss, um, not counting the four or five times I ran away at the start of the battle to try and um, get some treasure, and the I'm not quite sure how many times I got shot to death trying to get to the final boss. So, I'm officially into what would probably be either post-game content or expansion pack if it wasn't actually labeled as the sequel. <laughs> but hey, it was free. Oh, yeah. And um, I have been challenged by Maestro Nobio Uematsu. Hmm. Nope, never heard of him. Never yep, heard of yep. him. It, it, he introduces himself as the legendary music composer and that he is legendary dot 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 and awesome. Important. He also accuses Yamada of plagiarizing all the music in his game. I mean, and not just that, but plagiarizing it poorly. <laughs> Please knock me off correctly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm... I'm I'm having to assume that Uematsu had a lot of input into how his character's dungeon is working. Mm -hmm. So he had to have somehow, for some reason, he had to have okayed um, him first beating him up as in a suit with a conductor's rod. And then for the second part of the battle, him literally stripping down to a fig leaf and then jumping on an, a UFO to attack you. Wow. Yeah. That went places I admit I wasn't expecting. You're telling me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but his level is his is Maestro Nobio's ranch. So it is a farm. It has um it has pigs that will try to run you down. Mm -hmm. And it has as part of the destroyable scenery, mutilated cows. Huh. If you destroy one of the mutilated cows, there is a small chance that it will summon a UFO to the map. And the UFOs get a lot more common the farther you get into this level. Uh -huh. And um, one of the treasure sets that you can get off of this particular level is the alien outfit. So mm. you can dress yourself up as an alien gray and walk around. Well, uh... Certainly, that uh, trademark sense of the absurd never left the game. <laughs> oh, I, I'm I'm going to have to write a review sometime this weekend, and the name Eugene Ionesco is going to be appearing in this review as a comparison. Hmm. Ever heard of him? Uh, I think I've heard the name, but I couldn't tell you what he was. The father of French absurdism in theater. Ah, yeah. Oh, yeah. This dude, oi. 
Well, uh, sounds like that's still fun. How much uh, expansion do you think you still have left? Well, they have dungeons for like 75% of the main train stations on the Yamanote line in Tokyo. Mm -hmm. I've beaten two of these. You can take them in any order. And I'm going to assume that the handful of stations that do not have dungeons will have dungeons later, maybe. Mm-hmm. So that's a good maybe 15 to 20 dungeons. Yeah. Um, each of them with a special condition for losing. Ah. So, like, the first dungeon I, I went through, um, the secondary requirement is that you have to gather up every single piece of trash in the level. You can't miss any when you hit the exit of a, a floor. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, the the second floor of this dungeon has a uh, has an open space that you can't normally reach unless you have a wall breaking item. Mm-hmm. And it also has a trash mimic, which will throw trash randomly around the stage until it's destroyed. So uh, the first time I went through it, it tossed some trash into that one spot where I couldn't reach to begin with. So I automatically lost the level. Yeah. So that's that's fun. Yeah. So I mean, the the other level I I did beat that one, and the next one I beat had a as a requirement that you have to get a perfect course on each floor of the of the dungeon. It's like yeah. no skip spots, which was actually pretty easy, all things considered. Mm-hmm. And then the other one that I've tried and haven't beaten yet is the one where you have to rescue every kitty cat that appears. And um, enemies that throw things or shoot things will hit the cats if they try to shoot you. And the cat's in between you. Rude. And any any spell that hits everything on the screen will hit the cats. Huh. So you kind of have to be careful. Yeah, seems like it. Yeah. But it is weird. It yeah. is what it is. It's it's living up to every promise it made. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that that sounds. Uh, man, still uh, still wondering when I'll uh, finally bite the bullet and pick that up. But mm. I feel the dra- day draws near at the very least. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, other than Dandy Dungeon, been up to much? Mm, just progressing along in Summer and Mara, progressing around various bugs. I see that the uh, one you dealt with before is not the only one you've had to worry about. Yeah, I mean, most of the others are pretty minor, like um, character portraits disappearing after a quest is completed sometimes. Just they generally make the game feel kind of unpolished. Yeah, and... Um, one part of the main quest line where you have to do a do a favor for a pirate, and so when you get back to her with the item that you need that she needs, um, it's very very difficult to approach her ship in a way that allows you to actually talk to her. The button prompts last for literally half a second in a very particular spot in front of her. So I was having to um, put my boat in reverse and very slowly inch it forward while. while jamming the uh, appropriate talk button to hopefully trigger it. 
Yeah, that doesn't seem like something anyone wants to deal with in a game that looks like it's supposed to be relaxing. <laughs> it generally is. Yeah, it's just it's that just, sort of thing kind of takes you out of it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's that, and th I mean there's other little things like um, information control. At the very beginning of the game, in the tutorial section, if you pull up the map, it will show you a map of the hub island, not the home island that you're on, with the names of several characters. Hmm. None of whom you've met yet. That seems less than helpful. Yeah. And um, occasionally, if you get to a new area, then the main character or your character will make a comment that may or may not be based on information that she does not actually have at this moment. Hmm. So they probably should have worked a bit more on their conditional stuff. Yeah, yeah. That, that sort of thing's not uh, the easiest thing to work out, but I'm sure that it's as much just a case of, well, we need to get this out so that it can start making money, and we'll see about making it work better. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as far as uh, things go, there isn't, I mean... Yes, the, the thing with dumping the trash into the ocean was technically game-breaking if you didn't realize that you could just throw it in the trash can instead. Um, that box is still officially in my inventory. It's just not counting for anything. Hmm. <sighs> well, uh, I guess as long as your inventory uh, holds out, that won't be a major problem. <laughs> Uh, hopefully it gets a patch. Uh, so, uh, well, again, I guess I guess all I can say is hopefully it gets a patch. Yeah. Oh, I mean, they're officially working on some of the bug fixes for the newest updates for Switch. Yeah, yeah, that's not surprising, I mean... Not, uh, it doesn't strike me as a sort of company. I mean, that's I think that was in PC early access for at least a year, so it feels like the sort of company that's used to working in this kind of environment where it's like, well, you can play it, but there's going to be issues. Yeah. Yeah, so... And then I've also seen people complaining about minor things that really aren't bugs, like... Um, Apparently, a lot of the Kickstarter backers could were allowed to, or it, for a, at a certain tier, they could write messages mm -hmm. that you could find um, in bottles attached to little crabs all over the map. Typical Kickstarter stuff, yeah. Guys. And not all of these are in English. Yeah. And I mean, so some people were complaining that they hadn't translated them. Like, no, it's, I mean, if somebody wants to put one in Spanish, I mean, it's a Valencian studio. Go ahead. Um, yeah, that's a weird thing. To, like complain about because it's, it's like <laughs> it it not being in English is basically a, just a mark to you of like okay well I guess this isn't that important for me so I guess if you want to go look up what it means you can work it out yeah <laughs> I mean obviously it depends on the game like I've got a little freeware game from from Steam on here mm -hmm. called Eternal Senia where very obviously, um, somebody missed one or two sections in the localization because if you go to a particular door out of order, it'll yeah. flash up a something in Mandarin. 
<laughs> Bound to happen. Yeah. So, I mean, something like that, obviously, yeah, we got a problem here, but um, no, mostly, um, yeah. Honestly, I, the people who are talking about that, I don't think they're actually complaining about it. They're just like, oh, this is funny. Yeah, this is weird. <laughs> yeah. But completely understandable if you remember where the game came from. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, context helps. <laughs> uh, remind me of you'll occasionally see that even like uh, even in like professionally released games that are otherwise like really well localized. I always remember there are a few bits of untranslated Japanese in Persona Three Portable. Mm-hmm. Just like you'll just see actual Japanese characters on screen in the English version. It's like, huh. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's at that point, it was mostly just I'm surprised that the game's uh, English version still had the care set to display these. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <sighs> just something that happens. Uh. As for what I've been playing, almost nothing. I've had other things taking up too much of my time, markedly too much. Mm. Uh, I'm sure that we can reinterrogate wheels on this later at some point. Hopefully, eventually, in, assuming he hasn't been killed. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So I guess we can start getting to some of Kroll's uh, kindly provided questions on episode 167. Mm-hmm. Uh, episode 168 had just gone up like last night, I think. Something yes. Like so. so what timing and I was going to say wheels episode 168. Thank you for the product placement plug that I did not ask for. That was very, very nice. I hope I hope people actually Google what it's supposed to mean so we can get more um, attention here. <laughs> okay. It's a good excuse to put it on the front page for a bit. Yes. But yeah. Uh, Crawl kindly looks like you need some questions. Yes, thank you. We do. Uh, what are you more excited about, Xbox Series X or PS5? Or is there nothing worth getting excited about Excited about yet? I'd probably go with the latter. I mean, I have a horrible technophilic streak that's like, yes, I would like to own the large box with the large heaps of uh, very cleverly thinking metal, but I can't think of anything that's announced for either that seems that interesting. <laughs> um, I think the last game machine that I got as close to actual release, original release as possible was the Nintendo DS. Um, so I don't really get anything within a few years of its original um, pub- uh, not pub- release, I guess. And <laughs> I haven't really played anything on a console in almost a year now. Living the dream. <laughs> Mainly because... Um, the TV is largely taken up with Disney Channel. <laughs> Literal Disney Channel or uh, just children's programming in general? I'm curious what that would literally, look like in Japan. No, literally Disney Channel. Hmm. Disney Junior. I wonder what the schedule for that looks like in Japan. 
Uh, let's see. Uh, we've got Puppy Dog Pals, um, Sophia the First, Elena of Avalor, uh, Muppet Babies, um, Tickety Talk from this is a cute little show from Britain, um, Vampirina. For some reason, The Rocketeer went through the first four episodes like four times in a row and then skipped to number nine. <laughs> I'm not quite sure why. Um, so uh, we managed to go over a month without recording any of that because we couldn't find a new one. Lovely. Uh, my daughter did like that show. Yeah, that must have uh, made it more of a problem. Yeah. Well, I mean, thankfully, she she doesn't fixate on a show that much, usually. Okay, so She'll she's not like me when I was a child. Episodes. <laughs> I mean, she she will ask for specific episodes of Sophia the First. Uh. <laughs> like, very specific, to the point where we have memorized the episode numbers in a few cases. <laughs> uh, children are good at that. Yeah. But, yeah. Did, did you know that they actually made a Rocketeer cartoon now? No, no, I hadn't heard about that. I was immediately thinking, is this related to the movie I remember? <laughs> it is... I mean, it is certainly related to the movie, at least in spirit. It's at a guess, since they haven't actually revealed where the, some of the stuff came from yet. Um, it seems to be the original Rocketeer's great granddaughter. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. Yeah, looking at it, technically the movie was based off of a comic book I'd never heard of, and apparently the show is based on both. Yes. Huh. That's cute. No, it's just, it's a cute little show. It's um, it's like um, preschooler superhero show. Yeah. Um. The currently the most, um, the most recurring villains in the show are a pair of very bumbling thieves named uh, um, Laurel and Harley. <laughs> okay. And yes, yes, yes. It is definitely a reference. <laughs> Because, I mean, even um, just like by out um, their faces, their basic body plans, and their personalities are very much Laurel and Hardy. That's cute. That's a good choice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sir. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... But yeah, I really don't know what is coming up on the any of the next generation consoles. Yeah, and very little announced. And honestly, I was of the opinion that we we were hitting um, sustainable plateaus in graphical quality like two generations ago. Um, yeah, we can kind of see the results of that because we're starting to see what uh, next gen games are going to be priced like. Mm-hmm. The. Uh, the first prices started going out uh, for PS5 games and Xbox Series X games, and it was notable that a sports game launching this fall will be $70 for both of them in North America. Wow. How uh, much are the consoles supposed to be? Is it, do they neither of them has been willing to admit how much they're going to be. <laughs> how much you want to bet is they're going to be doing that thing like um, they did at one of the conventions years ago where Sony intentionally waited until after Microsoft made their price announcement and then lowered their price by $100. 
Like, that could be the case. Like, I feel like they are playing chicken in terms of, like, well, who's going to announce first so that the other one can see if it's necessary or feasible to undercut them. But at the same... It's been done in the past. Yeah, no, it's absolutely been done in the past, and I could totally see them intending to do that, which is why I think neither of them has been willing to announce. Uh, Neither of them wants to get caught flat-footed at this point. But I also think that, like... You can tell that both are gearing up for real sticker shock by virtue of the fact that Sony has gone back to the PS3 era messaging of, we're going to focus on value. (laughs) When you say we're going to focus on value, you mean the sticker price is really high. Yeah. So, yeah, looking at the actual list of announced games, like... There's really nothing here that uh, tickles my particular fancy in terms of games that has really any of these have enough info about them for me to care. But especially in terms of ones that actually have release dates, there's pretty slim pickings. Like, I mean, and that's always the case. I mean, like... The PS2 is still the most successful console of all time, and its launch lineup in both North America and Japan is nothing short of a train wreck. So, I mean, that doesn't really mean much, but, I mean, I'm not very excited for either system's launch. It's one of those, like, I mean, how much money you got to throw around in this economy? Probably not a lot. Uh You say there's a reason why the Nintendo Switch is now winning the console war. Yeah, it's one of those, like, hey, this is actually attainable and, you know, has a value proposition that is more relevant than, like, what technology is actually in the box and more focused on what you can do with the box, which is a value proposition that continually wins out over what's in the box. Yeah, because, again, as I love to keep mentioning over and over again, Sony's a hardware company, Microsoft's a software company, Nintendo is a toy company. Yep. And you can and see that, that is, also in their approaches. Uh, that is so obvious from the way that they approach this um, the consoles. It's, it's just getting more and more emphasized uh, in their attitude. Sony wants to pull you into the PS5. They want to entice... They want to entice people to the PS5 in a very, like, real way. Whereas, like, Nintendo, of course, is just, you know, here's all the things you can do with Switch, and also how about you buy some cardboard? That's sort of, like, you you can do silly things with it, but, I mean, like, just use the core thing and get toys that go with it. And then you get Microsoft that's just like, please purchase the software. We've made many different kinds of boxes, and it will work on all of it. Yeah. Uh, So, you're kind of seeing... Uh, All three companies sort of take different attitudes with it, but Sony and Microsoft are still caught in this, like, death battle over who will be uh, victorious. graphics. Yep, the most graphics. Whereas Nintendo is actually making money off of selling cardboard boxes to people to use with their Switches. (laughs) Yeah, Labo, Labo was one of the... Oh, man, now I'm remembering there was a... Now I'm remembering, like, Ring Fit just started getting restocked around here. It had been, like, a pain to actually get a hold of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember, like, a year ago, slightly before that was announced, when it was, like, known that something involving a rubber ring peripheral existed, and there was, like, a lot of 
jokes among those who knew that something was coming that like Nintendo was about to sell you a car, uh, you know, a rubber ring, and it's like sudden that you know isn't that ridiculous? And then it came out, and it's like, oh wait, no, people want the rubber ring because it's, because they want an excuse to exercise, and this will gamify it for them. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. again, with the the current world situation, I'm betting that no matter how fast they make new Ring Fit modules, they will sell out. Oh yeah, no, those only got became a better value proposition over time. Yeah, and again, it's just like the Switch is kind of made for families that are shut in during quarantine. <laughs> It's uh, like it, there's the curious situation to look at where Sony and Microsoft's machines are targeted at people who are self-conscious about the appearance of uh, the like quote unquote childishness of video games. Whereas like the switch is Nintendo marketing at people who are concerned with the practicality of maintaining a video game habit at their current age. Yeah. So I think that's kind of the philosophy breakdown of how they're selling and to whom they're selling. Yeah. I thought of like one game that would draw me towards a PS5 or Series X that's supposed to come out in the next year, and that's Resident Evil 8. Or officially, it's not Resident Evil 8, it's Resident Evil Village. But that's not exclusive to either, and I have no idea when it's coming out. So, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, probably the most uh, exciting thing about either of them. Like, that's the other odd thing is that like there haven't been a lot of third-party announcements of like major franchises that are coming exclusively to the next-gen consoles. They're kind of holding it close to their vest. I think a lot of them are probably prepping like. Xbox One and PS4 versions at the very least for their bigger, for their like bigger AAA titles, just because who, like, God only knows how much you'll be able to uh, actually, you know, how readily available these will be and how much penetration they'll have by like next year when some of those AAA games will start being ready to release on them. Yep. So. Yeah, that's, uh, that's about it. Oh, yeah, there was one other thing on PS5 and presumably PC. Oh, this also comes out on PS4, so screw that, whatever. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's, it was that uh, cyberpunk game where you're a cat called Stray, and I'm interested in that, but that is also coming to PS4, I say, so I don't have to care. <laughs> I was going to say, that's but that's the most interesting thing I've heard, and odds of it actually coming to the Switch at any point? Uh, unknown because I don't think we saw any gameplay so I don't know how graphically and computationally complex it'll actually be Yeah. so it's at least a timed Sony exclusive on console but it's unclear how long and what uh, the situation will be mm. worst comes to worst it'll probably come out on whatever succeeds the Switch in like four years but uh, yeah, in four years. by then you might even have time to play it yeah <laughs> Or uh, have daughters who are enjoying it with me. Yeah. Um, and finally getting my wife's permission to let them play video games. Uh, <laughs> Many steps uh, in the future. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, 
you know, married to a Japanese school teacher, there are views on how much video games a child should have as little as possible. Um, <laughs> so. I've seen what uh, what video games of all varieties have done to the children over time. <laughs> yes, however, I am fully of the opinion that video games can be English language learning material. Oh no, video games are great for tricking someone into learning a language just out of like desire to see what's going on. Yeah, I mean like I like I was telling my students earlier this week cuz like yeah, when I was when I started learning hiragana and katakana, how did I practice? I found a not exactly legal copy of Pokemon Gold Silver um ah. 6 months before the English release. <laughs> um and played that and that's also probably a good way to learn some uh, child-friendly kanji as well. <laughs> no, no kanji. Oh wow! Um, the, the Pokemon games did not have kanji in them until Black White. I suppose that might have been difficult on the resolution, anyway. So, well, it it wasn't a matter of the resolution because I mean I know some Game Boy games that had a, a small kanji count. It was mm -hmm. simply space in the text. Yeah, format. yeah. Um. So yeah, there's only one kanji to be found in any of the Pokemon games up through fourth generation, and that is the counter for money. Oh, that yeah. makes sense. Yes. Um, the, the symbol that was replaced with the barred P for Pokebucks. Yeah, yeah. All, <laughs> yeah. Those, all those prices make a lot more sense once you realize that, oh, this is just yen. <laughs> yes. Why are, poke, why are Pokeballs hundreds of dollars? Oh, they're just it's just yen. There's like a couple bucks. <laughs> If it's 10,000 yen, that's 100 bucks, and that's it, yeah. Yeah. And that's really expensive in Pokemon, to find something that's 10,000 Pokedollars. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It also explains why some kid in half pants is carrying 1,900 Pokebucks on him. Yeah, yeah. Just one of, <laughs> one of those things that, like, didn't click for me as a child, and then growing up, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I suppose that makes sense. I, I've, I'm curious, like, Japanese seems like it would be really hard to read without any kanji in it. Is it just, like, do they change <laughs> how it's spaced out in order to make it easier to read? Yes, actually. it's That's what they do for children's books. Um, mm. For, like, first writers or kindergartners, they do space the words. Ah, okay. Um, this is the, about the only time you will see spaces in a Japanese sentence. Yeah, because that's what I was thinking about. It's like in in what Japanese I'm able to read, it's like clear that you use the essentially the alphabet changes as a way to sort of signify where words are starting to end or, you know. Yeah, I mean, hiragana was created for grammatical purposes. Yeah. So um, that's one reason why the bits that, the bits of the verb that change or the bits of the adjective that change are the parts that are not covered in the kanji. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah. So, um, if you want an example of something that is truly awful to read, Shin Megami Tensei hmm. has no kanji. Or oh, very no. Few. Very few kanji. Um, partly, again, for space reasons, because it's on like a first-generation Super Famicom cartridge. Yeah, um, so just super space-crunched all the time. <laughs> And even worse, the foreign soldiers that you meet at various checkpoints in the game speak, again, without kanji. Oh, are they speaking in entirely in katakana? Entirely in katakana. Oh, heavens. Yeah. 
they're speaking Japanese entirely in katakana. I've heard of because that they've being got bad accents. Yeah. Oh. Oh boy, that they would be hard enough to understand even if they weren't like are they doing dial like are they writing out their bad accents because that seems like it would just make them just no. indecipherable. No, no, it's um, just having katakana in dialogue is a sign that somebody is speaking with an accent and that mm. the sounds are going to be a little bit off. Okay, so there's no, like, I mean, I dialect that makes it even more obfuscated. N- no, no, I mean, Japanese does, you, you can't really get away with that kind of phonic insanity the way you can in English. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, like, oh, I'm remembering this now, um, from the, the Raido games, um, you had, um, what's his face, um, uh, 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 Rasputin. Oh, and yeah. um, he's a good example of somebody using very specific um, or using katakan in a very specific way to show that somebody's speaking in a strong accent. So first of all, instead of using watashi for personal pronoun, he says me. Oh. Yeah, which is the stereotypical foreign person speaking Japanese thing. Um, and also, almost every single time, and anytime he says anything, almost every single time, the last syllable of the sentence will end in katakana. Huh. Um, especially if it's something like ne, or na, or yo. Um, again, just to signify that there is a kind of a mix in pronunciation there. Huh. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That that clears up uh, some questions that I had. <laughs> yeah. So, and it, I mean, it's been a while since I've actually played Shin Megami Tensei. So they're pro. I'm thinking there has to be some kanji in there, but it's a fairly low kanji count, especially compared to any of the games that came after it. Yeah, because unless it's going to get used repeatedly, it's just taking up a lot of space in the ROM. So. Yeah, um, but I mean, once you got past like the second or third generation of fam- Super Famicom cartridges, that worry kind of went away uh, for yeah. consoles. It was still uh, it was still there for the Game Boy iteration. So um, low kanji count was pretty common all the way up to the DS period, which is oh. again why Pokemon Black and White was the first game to offer an option for kanji. Hmm. You could you could choose kanji or no kanji for that game. I must have actually produced. Uh, I must have actually been a great deal of extra effort for them to actually do that because I would imagine that they don't display the same way. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, I, um, yeah. If they include the kanji, then there's actually a lot less sp- uh, space needed in the in the boxes. A lot less space needed. Uh, like a lot of text formatting that's just different. It's very interesting. Yeah. Yep. So I actually remember noting that when I did the impression of black and white many mm-hmm. years ago. It was like this is I was like, this is something big. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean it's I mean it's hard to for a foreign audience to appreciate, but this is right up there with them making HMs not or, or making a TM repeatable. So, yeah, in terms of changing the game, yeah, 
Was, and of course, uh, in, in the very next generation, they just made it available with five different languages. Yeah, they really went nuts with that. Yeah. And again, which is why I have actually told students, it's like Pokemon XY, Pokemon Sun, Moon, Pokemon Sword Shield. You can convince your parents that these are English learning tools. They're very good for uh, learning. Because, they're definitely yeah, aimed because for <laughs> no matter where you live, the this is going to be the easiest possible option for you to import a video game in a different language. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the trick. Yeah. And I've I've actually had discussions with parents about this as well. <laughs> um, it's like. Like, good luck convincing your kid to actually do it, but at the same time, once you set the language on a Pokemon game, you're, you're going to have to actually delete the entire saved file and start from scratch if you're going to change it back. So, if you set it in you English, you're going to play it in English. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, what? Huh? Oh, I was what? just saying, like, so, parents, if you get hold of it first, you can lock them into having to try to learn. Oh, no, no, just just tell your kids that, okay, we'll get you the game, but you're going to be playing it in this language. <laughs> M- make sure that it's a language that the kids is actually supposed to be studying. Also very important. Yeah. I mean, I played, X, I played Pokemon X in French. Just because? Just so that you could uh, bone up on your French, I guess? <laughs> well, I mean, to just have it some practice, because it's been France. a few years since I'd had to use it. And plus, the Kalos region is France. Yeah, it's also in faux faux France, faux France. Yes. So um, the French localizers actually put a bit more effort into some of the wordplay and things like the names of towns. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, there's La Rochelle. I had a French teacher come from there. Oh, there's the stones of Karnak. Cool, Mont Saint Michel. I've been there. That kind of thing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so yeah, we we've uh, moved pretty far from the uh, from the question of whether these new consoles will be worth it, but I think that's uh, a mark of also of our interest. So, <laughs> pretty much, yes. I mean, we uh, did at least attempt to answer the question before veering off into left field. Yeah, that can always be nice. Uh, we'll hit the addenda. That Crawl had for this as well. Adjunct to the previous question, how confident are you that this new Xbox might actually give the PS5 a run for its money on RPGs? You more excited about the suite of Western RPGs likely heading to Xbox or the usual suspects signing up for Sony's new toy? I don't know how much I think there's going to be a much of a difference in terms of major RPGs. Like, mm-hmm. especially if you're counting, like, things that are going to launch on both X-Bone, PS4, PS5, and Series X, I think you're going to see a lot, a lot of that. Yeah, I mean, we're moving back into a period of everyone gets the same th- games. Yeah, it's just, it's, there's not, the development costs are so high that developers, like, the only things that are going to be exclusive are things that are made for the company or paid for entirely by them. And that's why you see where Nintendo has a strength. Yep. And this is why you've also seen like even Microsoft is keenly aware of this, which is why they've been buying studios left and right over the past three or four years. Uh, like 
Nintendo still has the edge in first-party material. <laughs> yep. And managing first-party material as well. Yeah, that's, that's actually very much Microsoft's weakness, is that they've got the huge company mindset on these things where it's like, well, this thing's not performing and it looks bad on the balance sheet, so we throw it out and we like worry about how it affects other parts of the balance sheet later. Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, it's, uh, that's going poorly for you after a while, and that's kind of what it did, right? Like a perfect storm of that early in the Xbox One's lifespan that they've been trying to correct for ever since. Uh, Without necessarily realizing what happened. Yeah, they kind of get it. It's I'll be interested in seeing where they go. But I mean, like at this point, I think there are actually more announced <laughs> JRPGs on the Xbox Series X than the uh, PS5, and that uh, amounts to like, or I believe the exact same number have been announced for one, but not the other. Which is to say, Namco Bandai announced something called Scarlet Nexus, which is some sort of action RPG, mm-hmm. and. That PS5 game Square announced that I just keep forgetting from the studio that was going to be headed up by the FF15 co-director who, like, split immediately, and therefore I have no idea who's working on it. Uh, yeah. Uh, what the hell was this thing's name? Uh, I'm just looking at a list of them. Uh, Project Athia, that was the thing I was thinking of. That's, uh, I mean, those are, I believe, the only announced RPGs that have been announced for one, but not the other. Yeah. Uh, and it's I sincerely doubt like, either of those stays exclusive. It's starting to look a bit like, um, well, I remember, well, when I was a kid, I didn't have a lot of comic books, I so we just held on to a, a handful for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And one of these comic books was so old that it had like an advertisement for the original Mario Brothers yeah. for eight different home consoles. Oh, finally for the Fairchild. Yeah. And it just um, it just had comparison screens between all eight of them. That's that's what's and important. This is this is kind of how it feels these days. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna get like it's it's even less distinct than that, because like at that point, like you were literally having one just poor fool who had to port these individually to each console and they didn't really they couldn't reuse anything so they were just recreating it to the best of their abilities nowadays you're getting the same team is putting this on both consoles and they're reusing just vast portions of all of the like actual internal workings of it so like you're getting a very similar experience at all times Mm-hmm. Uh, and all that said and done, I'm just going to go with the option that I can carry with me if I want to. Yeah, yeah. And eventually the Switch will get a successor that will likely cont- continue its form factor. And at that point, a lot of these games will probably get ported to it. So, yeah. I mean, it'll probably work out pretty well for you. In all likelihood, I'm. I'm having trouble imagining them do, doing anything except following the example of the DS and the 3DS where the next console is pretty much going to be the Switch on steroids and playing all the Switch games still. Yeah, like it might have some like improvements in, say, haptic feedback or something like that to give it like the kind of uh, 
gimmick like 3D where that Nintendo likes to launch its new consoles with, where it's like, see, this is different. This is this has some sort of like eye-catching feature that the old one didn't have and that we couldn't reasonably do in software. So like, that's like how they try to sell these. That doesn't always work, but like I expect it'll have like haptic feedback or something, an improvement on that. Yeah. Uh, to as part of the sales pitch, but I suspect that the form factor will be basically the same. But I mean, after after stretching out a console's lifespan for seven to nine years, which it would be at that point, um, yeah. people are going to be wanting replacements pretty soon anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, so as yeah. long as they don't bungle it like the Wii and Wii U. Yeah, I don't think they'll be as silly about the marketing message ever again as they were about Wii and Wii U. But Wii and Wii U is also a case of them being back-footed by how much longer their uh, competition was taking to release things when the Wii was meant to last for five years and both companies that they were competing with were much more uh, in a situation where they needed their consoles to last closer to seven. But the Switch is now also just not is not even following the same uh, like cycle so they're in a healthier place to well replace when you've got to you've got time to craft your marketing message Mm -hmm. so there we are Um, but yeah uh, I I don't see either of them having a huge uh, lead in terms of RPGs at this point unless one of them Like, the only way I see one of them taking a huge lead in third-party support is if one of them produces something that is just... has some aspect of the equation that's completely unworkable. Like, Mm -hmm. you you would need... And and there's just... We know too much about their internals for it to be anything about how the hardware is set up, so it would have to be something that is like an original Xbone reveal of like, oh, well, all of the... Uh, like all the physical software is tied to the console and requires authentication constantly or it's like something that people would be so happy to just never have to think about again that they would buy a different system to do it Mm -hmm. but otherwise I I just I don't see any compelling reason for a company to really make just a PS5 game or just an Xbox Series X game and I I think that's likely to be yeah. a case even for smaller developers. Whereas smaller a lot de- of the smallest developers are going to be doing Switch-only games because those work. Yeah, <laughs> like those are easy to upport and those keep their like asset creation costs down. Yep. And so, those are things that anyone working with a small budget needs to be thinking about basically from the moment they start a project. Yep, so... And again, something I remember discussing maybe even last year or two years ago, the Switch is a haven for indies. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, the Yeah, we've discussed it a few times, but its uh, its audience has been more conditioned to not expect everything to look AAA, and therefore indie games mm-hmm. have an easier sell on it. Mm-hmm. So... Let's see. We can probably hit a couple of Kroll's other questions. Thank you again for the questions, Kroll. You saved us from a truly uh, devastating lack of content. <laughs> uh, I should probably actually check the Discord. It has never page. stopped us before. Yeah, but at the same time, it is always uh, more difficult. 
what are some of the best final bosses uh, in terms of design or story and which simply represent the best battles? Hmm. This very much depends on what you're looking for in the battle to begin with. Yeah, I mean, there's also the question of, like, if I name anything too recent, I run the risk of spoiling things for people even on this podcast who have not seen them. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about uh, the final boss to Shin Megami Tensei Four Apocalypse, which I have a very love-hate relationship with. Yeah, um, all you have to say is she is Mega Ten. I'm like, cool bosses, and oh, dear Lord. Uh, okay, well, going back... Going a bit farther back on Mega Ten, did you ever play Rido Two? Uh, I played it. I did not finish it. I I actually finished that one. Um, hmm. I think I know. I think Max Stormer was somebody else on the on the site was like, "How in the world do you even beat the final boss?" Because the final boss has a regeneration factor that you can see visibly scrolling up on its bar. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, so I um, mean considering the nature of this demon and what it is supposed to represent, it shows up as a small planetoid covered in human bodies. The human huh. bodies form a face mask. It looks like something out of the movie Labyrinth. It's like if Industrial Lights and Magic had decided to make something really, really disturbing, <laughs> more disturbing, uh, it would be this. And I know that that company has made some pretty disturbing things in the past. Um, and, um, yeah, if you just keep whacking at it, it will heal up faster than you can hit it. Uh, that's, uh, that's an Atmos boss. Yes, but um, it is weak against fire. And this is a game with the, uh, the plus damage system where if you hit something with its elemental weakness, it gets stunned and you can whack it even harder. Mm-hmm. And if you can pull up, for example, pull out two fire-based da- demons and have them both slam the thing at the same time while you are carving it to pieces, um, if you manage to do enough damage to it in a short enough period of time, it will lose part of its mask. And its maximum hit points is gains a much lower ceiling <laughs> that it cannot heal past. Mm. So suddenly, if you can get it down to like 70% hit points in a fast enough period of span of time, it is permanently at 70% hit points after that. And then you just have to build up and do it again. And eventually it runs out of power. <laughs> That's clever. Yeah. I really want to get back to the Rido games. I liked them. I just... Yeah. Eh, put them on Switch, then I'll get to them. Uh... It's, I mean, yeah, I guess a lot of it just depends on how well the boss is presented, how well it fits into the theme of the game, and just how cool it looks. Um, Choco Vader, the final boss, is literally the face of Mars. Oh, yeah, I remember you talking about this. Still nightmare. In space, closing in on the planet Earth, get to destroy it. Yes. Um, the, fu- the final boss of Atelier Asha is a tree. Um... Finally, a second game with an evil tree. Oh, no, it's not evil. That's the thing. It is not an evil tree. Uh. It is a a bioalchemical construct um, that is a combination of um, emergency hospital equipment and medevac, where it runs 
basically it runs teleportation nodes through special flowers across the continent. And it was originally designed to um, detect people in da- or in like medical dangers or medical emergency, teleport them to the central hub, fix them up, and send them back. Hmm. Except in the what can only be described as a technological singularity that happened eight to nine hundred years before the story begins. Um, it is one of the major systems that got too plugged into everything else and went slightly gonzo. <laughs> so now, um, if its sensor, if its sensor flowers detect somebody injured nearby, it will still scoop them up and teleport them back to the hub to fix them up, and then it forgets to ever return them. <laughs> Oops. And if somebody is stuck inside it long enough, it just that person kind of just gets annexed. Um, and made part of the processing power of the tree. <laughs> that's fine. That's normal. Which is what Ash's, Ash's sister is going to end up as if you can't rescue her fast enough. Ah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Well, there's but, your time limit for you. <laughs> yeah. But it's, um, yeah, the, the three Dusk games are very interesting in that none of the final boss, or okay, the second game kind of has a villain. But in all three games, the actual threat comes from leftover technological systems from the ancient age of alchemy that are still running and are still running on a tech singularity paradigm where they don't really care what happens to anything else as long as they fulfill their imperatives Hmm. which again for the first game the final boss's imperative is to actually help people (laughs) it's just kind of got confused on how it's trying it's doing its best the sis um the uh i mean are you do you care about the desk games uh, I do kind of actually. Those are the ones. Okay, that I... then I will not get into exactly what is involved with the set and with Eska and Logie's final boss. Let's just I say it. that it, it gets it's interesting to say the least. And um, and for Shally's, um, the final boss is directly connected to the reason to why the local ocean disappeared. That seems important. Yeah, um, it was a. <laughs> I mean, this one is not nearly as massively a spoiler, but it's um, technically the final boss of Shallow started off as a water filtration system. (laughs) Well, that would explain where the ocean went. (laughs) Yeah, it was supposed to be a water management and filtration system, which is why the hub town of Atali Shally still has water. Huh. It's the only place within a 500-mile radius with running water. Hmm... Because nobody, because people kind of forgot that the system existed and couldn't tell it to stop. <laughs> yeah. So, um, some wonderful, wonderful examples of paperclip problems <laughs> in the series. <laughs> um, you know the paperclip problem? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> or... Going again with Rogue Artificial Intelligences, um, the Metal Max series. Yeah, I was thinking that you had to you had to mention Metal Max at some point. Yeah, Um, Project Noah Hmm. again was a bootstrapped super intelligent artificial intelligence 
that was not intended to exist. It just kind of developed naturally out of a bunch of different systems being put together to try and solve the problem of, or the various problems of the environment and humanity in the wonderfully ironically named World Salvation Center. Um, and it, in the very first game for the Famicom, when you're going through the ruins of the World Salvation Center, you can find a researcher's notebook where he's talking about there's something inside the computer and I don't know what it is, but it will not let me out of this room now. And that's Noah. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. Oh, man, that reminds me I need to play the Metal Max 3 fan translation out of the town. Yes, you do, because that has a completely different sort of um, villain and final boss, and he's really awesome. I've heard that 3 is one of the, is a particularly good one, so... Yeah. I mean, I, I reviewed both of the Saga, Metal Saga games, and at the end of the, the PS2 review, it was like, yeah, if you took everything that this game did right and everything that its DS sequel did right, and you put, and these are not necessarily the same things, mm-hmm. and you put them all together, you'd have a really good game, and then, you know what, that's what they did with Metal Max 3, so go play that. <laughs> Well, okay, then. That's a yeah. more ringing endorsement I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Metal Max 2 the um, Reloaded and Metal Max 4 did it even better, but those aren't available in English yet. So, Hopefully one day, now that someone's uh, gotten 3 done. Yeah. Has anyone worked on 2 Reloaded? I should check. Almost certainly. Yeah, I'm just curious if it's in any state of like actually looking like it'll have a finish. To reloaded. Okay. Apparently, there was a status update not that long ago that says that the that it's still in the works. So, I mean, it's. I mean, as far as the the minor th- or the minor but very important things like inventory go and menus go, a lot of that's going to be the same between those two. So. Yeah, it seems to be the same group handling to reloaded. So. Very good. Uh, yeah, they think it'll be probably done sometime next year. So. Good. So that'll be something I'll have to report on when that uh, comes out. Can finally, uh, can finally have a good Metal Max discussion, a happier Metal Max discussion. <laughs> but yes, enjoy. Um, definitely, definitely enjoy that game. Okay. Okay. So yes. It's like when I when I saw the news, it's like, "Yay, Drum Can Jones rides again." <laughs> For reference, in Metal Max Three, your main character does not remember who he is. Mm-hmm. Whatever name you put in there at the beginning, he will not remember that name. <laughs> so. Uh, so when he's asked for a name by one of the characters at the very start, he looks around and he sees a drum can. And so he's like, drum can, and then you can choose his last name. It's like Jones Smith or something else. <laughs> and everyone will call him by that until like two-thirds of the way through the game when you manage to recover details of who he used to be properly. And <laughs> you, can, you can choose to use the real name or not to use the real name. Are you happy just being Drum Can Jones for the rest of your life? Yes, because that was awesome. <laughs> I, I even titled the review The Ballad of Drum Can Jones. Wise. Good choice. Yes. But, yeah, so... 
trying to think if there's any like final bosses I want to submit to this that don't seem like too big of spoilers. Um, Gygus, Earthbound. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I mean, it's like a perfect example of how to do an actual Lovecraftian horror as a final boss. It does, I mean, you've got text, me- or you've got um, in-battle text like, Gygus does something very disturbing, and we can't describe what it is, but everyone takes 100 damage. You're like it, it works in part because of like the limitations of Super Nintendo RPGs, where you kind of expect like very vague and abstract animations. So it like describing it, saying that its attack is you cannot comprehend the nature of its attack is like oh no, that makes sense. <laughs> yep. So you cannot comprehend the nature of his attack. Yes, I think that's how they and the, phrased it in yeah, English. Actually, I think that was the actual text. That and literally, the, the only way to beat that boss was to pray. Yeah. So yeah, some of some of the, my favorite bosses are just the ones that really fit their game well, even if it is really obnoxious otherwise. Yeah, I feel like uh, this this also ties back to. Again, I'm going to bring up SMT4 Apocalypse, and I'm going to try to skate around spoilers for it. Although, given that it's a mainline SMT game, you can probably figure out who the final boss is. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's one of those ones where I like. I love everything about the fight except doing it. And you have no choice over what it's going to hit. So what you want is for it to hit something that you have a really powerful attack in twice so that you can get a ton of extra turns and keep using that attack over and over. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm not going to lie, I fought that fight at level 107, which is higher than the final boss is supposed to have. Oh, oh. boy. <laughs> Well, this is a good good chance to get you back in. Yes, apparently we lost a minute. You tripped a power breaker? Yeah, I'm shocked oh, that your okay. your computer didn't go because that would have killed the Skype call and it would have been much more obvious. Yeah. Good to have you back. Uh, I guess we'll have to backtrack through some questions, but we didn't have a ton. I think it was mostly you going on about Megaton at this point. Yeah, yeah. I was just uh, rambling about how much I love slash hate the final boss of Shin Megami Tensei 4 Apocalypse. Uh, 
Did you finish that one, Wheels? It's uh, mean. We'll go with mean. Okay. Is it in the theme of uh, design that you cannot really forget? The boss of Scenario A and Linda Cubed. <laughs> Have we started recording again? Oh, it just it just lost stuff. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, okay. But yeah, you cannot under you cannot. I'm sure I cannot comprehend the true form of Linda Cube's final boss either. Oh crud! Ooh, 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 ooh. that doesn't sound good. Well, what? I know. I just had my audio input muted, so I'm not sure if it picked me up for the last bit. <laughs> Well, that would have been a lot worse if you had been here for more than two minutes, so... Yes. Mic check, mic check. Yeah, we're good now. But are you good? I was asking for a mic check. Oh, yes. No, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> good to have you back. Okay, so you, you want to see, or you do not want to see the final boss of Scenario A in Linda Cube, but here is uh, the... Be- First foot I can find if you can follow the link. Let's see. I am clicking. Uh huh. Huh. I have some questions. It looks like the plot described here does not go to plan. I'm just I guess I'll go that go with that. <laughs> yes. I hope one day someone's ambitious enough to translate it. I feel like the reason that it's not translated is both because it was primarily considered a PC engine game which had no uh sort of uh meaningful u.s presence in terms of especially among rpg fans and two that it uh has little like name cachet because i don't think alpha system has a lot of u.s fans so yeah because the few games they made that did come over before oreshka were not that good yeah uh, what else did they and oreshka was kind of quirky too oh yeah very quirky game uh I think we only got a Reshika 2, hmm. which was, uh, they were quite prolific at one point. Yep. Let's see, Reshika, yeah, we got a Reshika 2, and their most recent uh, game that English Wikipedia is aware of is something called Sisters Royale, which has many possible connotations. Hmm. Uh, yeah, it's, it's probably like a sim game. That's that's probably the most hopeful possibility. Um, di- oh my god, <laughs> I love the this one. I didn't realize that they were oh, involved. Oh, shoot them up. Okay. Oh, that would make sense. They did the Shikigami games. It is a, it is similar to Shikigami. It looks like. Okay. I am very amused by one of my favorite like 
bizarrely titled video games just for the not not because like the title by itself is strange but just the the implications of the title are very funny to me is that they apparently developed Neon Genesis Evangelion 2 uh-huh which is uh notably not a TV series it's a PS2 game <laughs> uh and it is a holy grail among English-speaking Ava fans because it's untranslated, but apparently does a lot of uh, completely bonkers, bananas nonsense with the very bad lore of Neon Genesis Evangelion. <laughs> I mean, when you say completely bonkers and insane, and then you also say Evangelion. Yeah, um, I'm really repeating myself. How at do that you point. tell? Because this is the stuff that tries to say where angels come from. Well, when a mommy deity and a daddy deity love each other very much. The answer turns out to be aliens. Well, that's probably the least bonkers reason they could have given. Yeah, it's more complicated than just being aliens, but yeah. I mean, if it were like a cosmic panspermia seeding event... um, with a feedback loop where in the genetics of humanity are giving rise to the aliens in order to judge humanity. And that, that actually sounds like something actually, I think that's what Utawari Ramona was. Um, okay. Never mind. I, I've read the, I've read the basic plans for so many different bad nineties manga and anime. <laughs> probably freestyle. They're really, huh? really obsessed with that sort of thing. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was some of the major themes of the '90s for anime and manga. So yeah, find, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can find stuff like that in Evangelion. You can find it in, yeah. Oh, um, again, Utawari Mono was big on that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I at least one of the scenarios in Live Alive was like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember yeah. that. So, um, and I'm sure the deeper you get the or the deeper you de- delve, the more series you can find that makes some sort of thing based on that. Yeah. yeah. Looking at Alpha Systems, like, general oeuvre, they seem to have, for a long time, part of the reason that they were so turbo graphics focused was that they seem to have essentially been almost entirely doing contract work for... NEC slash Hudson. They were the ones that actually ported East 1 and 2 to the PC Engine, as far as I can tell. Uh, Were they involved with East 4? I'm curious. It doesn't look like it, which is mildly surprising. But, like, it's just... They they were kind of a big PC Engine developer, which would explain why they probably have a stronger cult following in Japan. Mm -hmm. But... uh, See, they also ported at least one of the Legend of Heroes games. Uh, yeah, just a lot of uh, PC Engine games, fairly well-known PC Engine games. And then yeah. at the tail end of that, you get uh, Linda Cube. <laughs> and again, to quote stuff I've already written from the review for Linda Cube, it's like, Linda Cube is an excellent example of what... Um, Alpha System can do when properly given free reign for its creativity. And it's also a wonderful example of why they have not been allowed to do this for a decade. <laughs> Sometimes you need to be stopped. <laughs> yeah. 
but you know, I still I still hope that they do a remake, like improve the battle system and the graphics again, because I mean the PlayStation and Saturn versions were much better than the original. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, but yeah, make the make some of the combat options more interesting to and workable. Mm-hmm. Um, improve the graphics. Base base uh, or include scenario D in this because I've really really wanted to know what happens in the fourth one, and that's not in the PlayStation. How can this version. get worse? After scenario C, I have no idea how this could possibly get worse, but it's going to be really fun to see. Um, scenario C is the one where it becomes very clear that the main characters are actually part of an infinite time loop. Well, that explains all the scenarios, I guess. <laughs> yeah, because we got three completely contradictory and like uh, mutually exclusive beginnings to this game. Sure. We'll go with it. Can't be any worse than Dark Savior. Mm. <laughs> Just did that to hurt wheels. Sorry. Why? Pay me no why? Money. Why? There's a there's a claim on Wikipedia that's unsourced, but I desperately want to believe that they were the uh, developers of two of the approximately eight games for the Casio Loopy. <laughs> Did you just was, that up? <laughs> which was a console made by Casio. I know about the Casio Loopy, so like that I can guarantee exists. It was a console made by Casio in the mid '90s that was aimed explicitly at like eight to ten year old girls. So it was <laughs> okay. Uh, it it featured games like I Want a Room in Loopy Town uh, and Little Romance. Like that's sort of like. How do we sell things to little girls? I got an idea. And it also came... It, it could had a sticker printing peripheral. Huh. So... Just, uh... But yeah, this claims that they made Dream Change, Kokin-chan no Fashion Party, and Wan-Wan Ajo Monogatari. I'm just gonna assume that second one's about a dog. And a witch. Yeah, that would make sense. Uh, but yeah, so that that's that's an incredible aspect of uh, anyone's development history, if we're being honest. Uh, I didn't realize that the port to PlayStation of Linda Cube was just called Linda Cube again. Yeah, Good and name. honestly, I would if they ever do make do the remake. I'm hoping and praying that they title it Linda Hypercube. Oh man. Because it again four scenarios, not three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see how Let's that make works. This thing 4D, and it and again time, time shenanigans are part of the canon story. So, yeah. And then of course, uh, apparently the Saturn version got retitled once again to Linda Q. Kanzenban. So. Yeah, well, Kanzenban just means complete edition. Yeah, pretty much. Just uh, here's here's a little bit more. We glued some more in. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So there's there's your Alpha System history. They mostly have made uh, Tales spinoffs and Fantasy Star spinoffs in the past ten years. Mm. Uh, they did uh, the beloved Tales of Innocence, uh, oh, which is, oh. in many ways, it is the polar opposite of 
Splenda Cube in that they're both RPGs, but one of them is them being let on let off a leash, and the other one is them essentially having no creative input whatsoever. Uh, being choked by the leash, yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I liked some of the plot elements for Tales of Innocence. I wish they had more chance to explore some of these plot elements. That's and more time to actually just put a game down to begin with. Um, yeah. But I also really liked Narikiri Dungeon 2 and 3, which were also oh, Alpha yeah. System. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They did a lot. Essentially anything that fell into the Tales of the World banner is an Alpha System production. Except for Summoner's Lineage, which was just plain awful. Yeah, we don't have and, to speak of that and won't. <laughs> and was a completely different type of game. Actually, wait a minute. Summoner's Lineage, the game was not awful because it was a very well-designed, um, competitive strategy game. Mm-hmm. The camp, the story campaign mode was awful because it was not balanced for a storied campaign. Oops. So, um, and so in a game where you, I mean, you could bring along any survivors from the previous battles along with you to the next one, but mm-hmm. it was still they die, they're gone. Unless they are actually have plot significance, mm. and every other character that you can bring in for a battle is level one at the start. That sounds awful. Oh, I mean, it's also true. Technically, it's also true for any new characters that the enemy side summons up. It's just mm-hmm. that whoever um, whoever the enemy side is fielding at the start of the game will be up towards of level ten by the end uh... of the game to start with. So. Um, your main character in Summoner's Lineage is going to be the highest level character in the game because you need him to be able to run around and kill a lot of things in order to claim enough spots to raise enough money to summon your best characters. Oh, that sounds awful. <laughs> yes. So um, it's a game that's great for the verses, but very bleh for the campaign. Yeah, yeah. So... And I say that with, in the knowledge that it actually had some really good, really good conversations for the campaign characters. Um, so the actual act of getting to them is uh, hellish. <laughs> yes, I did beat it. Amazingly enough, I'm impressed. Um, yeah, <laughs> they could have done without any of the Tales of Fantasia characters showing up. <laughs> See the last. Uh, note I'll make on Alpha System is the only other game I can think of that the uh, that a non-import player might have played of theirs would be uh, Elemental Gearbolt which was a light gun game for the PS1 that Working Designs localized of all companies but I would imagine at that point that Working Designs had a fairly active knowledge of uh, a fairly no- a fair knowledge of Alpha System, because Alpha System was also the developer of Exile Wicked Phenomena, which was something that Working Designs localized back on the PC Engine. And again, I'm wondering, does Alpha System still have the same office near Minami Kumamoto Station? You'll have to find out one day. Yeah, I'm just going to, I mean, next time I've got a day off and kids at nursery school just ride my bike over there. Um, because I've I've just randomly thought over the years, why don't I just go over there for an interview? But I've never actually had anything to talk about. 
Ask them if they'll port Linda Cube to Switch. I was going to say, if and when they actually announce that game, I'm I'm just riding over there and asking for an interview. Seriously. Please, I beg of you. Yes. Um, it, it, it will need to be translated from Japanese, but hey. <laughs> It'll be exclusive content. Uh, yeah. It's what the readers uh, crave. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Next uh, question, why do you think gamers will like your game? Uh, we don't, no. but we think that they need to see it. <laughs> yes. Uh, Wheels, do you want to quickly run back over, over some of these questions that Crawl sure. sent in? Uh, what are you more excited about, the Xbox Series X or the PS5? Or is there nothing worth getting excited about yet? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure exciting is the word I would use, but I am excited <laughs> for Spider-Man. Spider-Man. They've been so great with the messaging on that. Uh. Yeah, after all that nonsense, I was like, wait a second. Does it does it contain a remastered version of the original game? At this point, it seems unclear. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I would like actually like to know that. <laughs> uh, also, I think that I, it's really, important I'd, to... I'd really love okay. to know about uh, backwards compatibility at some point. Mm-hmm. PS4, some games, maybe. <laughs> the other thing I was going to say about that is just... Uh, I think that we, at some point, need to all come to terms with the fact that uh, both of them are uniquely butt-ugly, but the PS5 is more butt-ugly. Yeah. It's the world we live in. Uh, and then Kroll had the adjunct to the previous question, how confident are you that the new Xbox might actually give the PS5 a run for its money on RPGs? When me and Gaijin discussed this, we both came to the conclusion that, I mean, there's going to be like a paper thin difference between their libraries as it is. Yeah. I mean, they're essentially this. They're kind of the same hardware. Yeah. They have a different, uh, solid state drive data read access. As far as I can tell, that seems to be it. Yeah. I I mean, I'm more interested in, more switch that's all i care yeah that's fair that's generally been more interesting uh gonna play favorite mario the origami king favorite ps5 game (laughs) i mean i just i don't i don't care just give me more switch stuff i really don't care like uh, yes i'll upgrade those boxes at some point but it's not just it's whatever proposition they've made is not super strong yeah uh, let's see. But yeah. Uh, and we were, as you broke in, we were thinking, uh, we were doing what are the best final bosses, best in terms of design or story, and what simply represent the best battles. So we did mention the final boss of Atelier Asha. That's yeah. a good one. Uh, I ranted about Shin Megami Tensei for a bit. Uh, I was almost to go. Mention the usual list of oddball games that I've played. Yeah, we got the Metal Maxes, we got the Linda Cubes. Uh, I was about to go off on a tear about how I think it's actually very bad when the final boss is really hard in an RPG. Uh, By that point in the game, the player is typically 
uh, ready for the story to end and mm-hmm. is seeking more emotional catharsis rather than challenge. And therefore, if you make too hard of a final boss, you deny them that catharsis and make their last memories of the game irritated rather than, uh, you know, enjoying the <laughs> finality of the game. <laughs> okay, well, that reminds me of something that Final Fantasy VII and Wild Arms 2 both did, where the literal final boss of the game was a basically a ceremonial fight against the villain. Yeah, yeah. I love the like apparent under the hood mechanics happening in FF7's final Sephiroth fight. Which is but, uh, the... it... Yeah. Oh good. But um, I was gonna say like Wild Arms 2 did the same thing, but it was against the demon that was possessing or partially possessing the main character. Yeah. I forget what the Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, now I remember it. Okay. Yeah. And who had been a constant threat to the safety and well-being of the entire cast a couple times. And to uh, Ashley's own sanity. sanity. <laughs> yes. And so, um, after saving the planet and the demon attempting its final takeover of the hero's everything, he manages to self-exercise. <laughs> and I think both of those kind of work because so much of their story involves the interiority of the character having that final fight like so you know to end off on something that is essentially unlosable for thematic reasons as much as it is anything else is uh actually fairly interesting Mm -hmm. uh especially after the actual final fights that came before them Uh, yeah which are more traditional uh skill tests Yep. Oh, what was I gonna say? This I'm gonna throw. I'm gonna throw a bone to uh, Strawberry Eggs, who uh, is a huge fan of this game. Uh, I don't know if either of you bothered playing it, but Tales of Symphonia: Dawn of the New World has kind of an interesting final fight that I appreciate how it mechanically ties into the game's multiple endings. Either of you play this or care about spoilers? <laughs> don't care about spoilers. I think I've already read them all. So, spoiler alert, the uh, last boss uh, has you as the player fighting two of your, uh, fighting some of your allies, and I believe the way to get the good ending is to deliberately lose. Huh. Which, uh, you know, makes sense, makes a lot of sense in context, given what is supposed to be happening in the plot at that point, but it's, it's a neat fight that is mechanically consistent with what the story is doing at that point, and uh, I think ties off the characters fairly well. Uh, you get a very bad ending, I believe, if you kill, <laughs> if you actually fight and win. Uh, not recommended, as I recall. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's kind of a neat fight. Uh, that I think uh, is a good capstone to that game. But, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's or, one I wanted uh, to shout out. Uh, okay, different thought here. Um, Samurai Revolution or Samurai Evolution Okokogeist. Nope, that didn't get an English release at all. <laughs> no, it did not. No, it did not. Um, but it's the one where it's sort of like Pokemon if you had a magic item that would change any of the monsters into swords for you to fight. <laughs> And by monsters, I mean anything with a pulse, because there are NPCs and major characters who can be t- 
turned into weapons. As you do. Yes. Um, and so, um, yeah. Um, so the true final, the actual final boss is a world-ending thing from beyond the darkness called the Black Sakura, who uh, happens to um, be embodied by your main character's love interest, of course, as these things go. Yeah. Um, and so when you're fighting the Black Sakura, your character's love interest is embedded in the front of it, mm. being used as its weapon. Seems like a problem. It's, it is a problem because if Sakura-chan gets killed in this battle and she is the weapon, so she's taking the front of, or brunt of all the damage, then the entire world gets sucked into a Schwarzschild radius. Mm. Um, regardless of if you manage to kill the final boss or not at the same time. Um, <laughs> so in order to get the good ending on this game, you have to kill the black final boss without killing the weapon it's wielding. Ooh. That's cool. Which means that you have to be really good at, um, or have a pretty good knowledge of the game's piercing attack um, mechanics and access to uh, the Geist song from the game's title that allows you to heal weapons. Mm. Not your own, any weapon. Mm-hmm. That's clever. Yeah. Yeah. So. But, yeah. Um... Okay. But yeah, uh, that's that's what I can think of. You got any wheels? Um, can't think of anything offhand now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm. Well, then, random other thing to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, I, something I noticed when we were recording last week, but it got kind of got worse. But my laptops. Um, power cord transformer decided to die. That seems like a problem. Yes, so I had like half an hour left on my laptop's battery, and I was frantically Googling through um, the um, Googling the serial number to see how long it would take for me to mail order uh, power cord for this thing, and um, came to a this one item it had a list of compatible computer types it had like lenovo asus acer something chinese and then at the end of the list was nintendo switch huh. i'm like no way wait a moment went and grabbed the power cord for the nintendo switch <laughs> it works huh. hmm. The wattage is a bit lower, so it takes longer to charge properly and um, if i'm running the computer at the same time then it's um, doesn't really charge up very well, mm-hmm. but it works. So that bought me enough time to go to um, or to keep business as usual until I had a chance to go to a dinky store and come up with a different random option that involved a power converter and an iPhone, actually an Android power jack, because hmm. I can't actually buy the same power cord without buying a computer. I assume it's just some sort of like slightly uh, wattage, slightly differently wattage uh, USB-C solution. Yeah. So um, 
the one I'm replacing was a 45 watt, and I've managed to replace it with a 30 watt. So, um, for about 50 bucks total altogether. So it wasn't that bad, I guess. So. Hmm. <sighs> oh, I thought of a good final boss. Yeah. What? Lavos. Chrono That's a good one. Oh, yeah. Really nice presentation on that one. Grand demerit for the time devourer. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. I'm still not. I'm still not completely forgiven Chrono Cross. Sorry, Wins. Uh, <laughs> it's fine. Just for just for being obnoxious to actually get the right ending out of. <laughs> Have you considered just casting a essentially random assortment of notes? Each spell a different note. I hope it's following the sequence, or else you're boned. So stupid. Why are you like this? It's a phrase that I've been getting a lot of use out of the past <laughs> few days, but in this case, it also feels very correct. Why are you like this, Colonel Cross? Uh, so, yeah, that's... Uh, Grand demerit for what could have been an interesting fight, but uh, like many of Chrono Cross's uh, misguided ambitions, didn't really work. <laughs> no. Let's see. Uh, I think that runs me out of final bosses that I really feel the need to bring up. Uh... Yeah, uh, I generally like final bosses in Kingdom Hearts games. They tend to be tough fights, but not the toughest in the game, and generally very flashy. I like flashy things. I like when lights happen. Really just dangle something on a string and I'll watch it. Basically a confused animal. Um, but yeah, that's what sticks out to me. If we bring in non-RPGs, then suddenly I start talking about games with names like Devil May Cry. But those aren't RPGs, so we won't. Does the devil cry at the end? He doesn't. Oh. Wow, that's... At the end of the first one, Dante, in fact, proclaims the devils never cry. (laughs) I remember that. And it's, uh... If more people had finished that game, I think it would be as infamous as I should have been the one to fill your dark soul with light. Because it's a real hokey line. Uh, But in that same uh, action game oeuvre, the best uh, final boss is uh, Armstrong from Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. Highly recommended for being as over-the-top as any... Uh, fight has ever been in a video game and also I'm a huge sucker for uh, video game music with lyrics and all the boss themes in that have completely insane lyrics. <laughs> okay, well, I need to start figuring out when I need to leave. Okay. So, so. Do we have anything else? No. Oh, and Wheels, thank, thank you for the shout-out with the previous episode's title. Oh, you're welcome. Also, yes. I'm almost done with part one. That's fu- what you were. That's where you were at last week. 
Uh, well, I'm 30 pages, 30, 40 pages deeper in. Oh, okay. They're so, actually near the end. They're okay. currently fighting ants. Yay! It's a good time. But yes, as, as has been mentioned, uh, Princesses of the Peeps Parlor, still available on Amazon. Michael Yadi Mitsu. Yes, episodes one through nine. Mm-hmm. Yes. More yet to come. Oh, yeah. Much more. <laughs> but uh, Otherwise, uh, I think that runs us out of things to discuss. Um, uh, questions go in the comments section, like our good friend Kroll. Uh, they can also go in the podcast section of the Discord if you're more of that persuasion. I think uh, Eric wanted to jump on real quick. Maybe we can have him on after oh. Mike leaves. Yeah, let Mike... Uh... Yeah. Okay. Well, we got the rotating, rotating door for hosts and guests today, so... <laughs> I will be the sole survivor at the end. There can be only one. But yeah. See you next week. Now I want to listen to some Queen music. (laughs) Say what? Oh, I'm just thinking of Highlander now. Here we are, born to be kings. We're the princes of the universe. Exactly. Fighting to survive in a war with the highest power. Yeah. That's really the best. The Elzebub has a devil set aside for me, and it's called English class. So, let's see you. See ya. See ya. Okay. Make them memorize the English parts of Teo Toriyate. <laughs> oh, no, today I'm actually reading Green Eggs and Ham to a bunch oh, of fun. eighth graders. In yeah. as dramatic of a tone as I can manage. Listen, I just don't like that shit, Sam, I am. I feel like that's not in the book. <laughs> so, if you, if you haven't seen the Netflix animated series Green Eggs and Ham, you need to watch it. I'm not sure how that works as a series, but now I'm curious. <laughs> oh, it is hilarious, and it is a, what's the right word here, irreverent sociopolitical commentary that the doctor would have loved nice. if he were that still alive. A lot um, to digest. <laughs> oh, oh the, the actual, the main villain for the series, um, yeah, it's uh, basically a diminutive Donald Trump. Oh wow! Jesus. Well, okay. Just go. Who for has it. to? Who has to physically threaten his own hair for it to stay on its his head? I can just because see how that would look with Doctor fashion, Fusion. his toupee is actually a very tiny person with a humongous amount of hair. Yeah, I can. I can just see the uh, Doctor Seuss uh, illustration of what that looks like. Yes. So. Um, Yes, Netflix. It's like 17 episodes, each one of them named for a single word from Green Eggs and Ham. First episode is here. <laughs> um, just, yes, watch it. It is nothing that you would expect and everything that you would love from a Dr. Seuss-based TV series. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. that's way better than I would have expected, based on the on the assumptions I would have made just from the phrase "Green Eggs and Ham's TV series." So. I mean, yes, Sam I Am is also trying to get the other character named Guy Am I to try Green Eggs and Ham for the entire series. 
it's I a running think that joke. name yes. has been used in other things. I think it's like Seuss lore at this point. Yeah. Guy am I? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's never actually named in the book, but honestly, yeah, can you think of a better name for him? No, no, I cannot. No. So it's Sam I am and Guy am I. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, well, see you later. See you next week. See ya. Okay. Okay. Let's see if Eric is still on. How the turntables turn. Hello, guys. Hey, good to hear from you. Who needs Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2 HD when you've got York Morgan doing sweet tricks like always? Oh, man, I'm very excited for the fact that apparently your skateboarding skill levels up in <laughs> Deadly Premonition 2. Mm-hmm. A skateboarding what? RPG. There's skateboarding Finally. in their game? What? Yeah, they added a skateboard. Uh, why not? I like a Jaws move who happened with that Maneater game. I feel like it makes perfect sense given the thought process that when he was interviewed in a postmortem about Deadly Premonition, asked what he would do with more time to work on the game, people seemingly expected him to say we would have polished it, and he said he wanted to add bicycles. <laughs> I wonder if I wonder if this means like the game has like zero combat now though, because he didn't want to do it in the first game. I'm curious i haven't seen any in the trailers but maybe it's like more like d d4 which i still need to play ah poor game i feel bad because like he's gonna spend the rest of his life getting people yelling at him for not finishing it it's like he didn't have a choice well he could always do another one he could but i mean like he would have to get microsoft to agree to it Mm. Well, I don't know. Microsoft's been accommodating lately, so maybe they could get, work something out. Hopefully sometime in the next uh, console cycle. Like, get them to... Like, he, he makes it a Switch exclusive, but he gets them to, you know, port the original to the Switch. And then he does a sequel. <laughs> uh, well, dark dreams don't die. But, um... I wanted to talk a little bit about Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. Nice. Um, mainly, <laughs> mainly the the facts that Ricky is the best character. I don't care what anybody says. I think you will find little debate here. Roly poly, <laughs> keep on rolling. What the hell does he say again? That was roly poly, keep on rolling. I remember because I had to comb through twenty minutes of his speech on YouTube to find it I for you. I just think he's a good <laughs> character for damage over time. He just eats through enemies' HP. Oh, he's great. But he's also a good character in the game, like despite the way he talks, and rather it's because of it. <laughs> and he's got big dad energy, so dads out there would like him. Okay. Yes. It's but uh, I want to talk about Future Connected, which is a bit weird. I didn't. I wasn't really keen on it. Maybe I'll feel better about Torna because I feel like it's kind of unnecessary for it to exist. Because uh, does it? I saw things online that suggested that there's connections being made to Xenoblade Chronicles 2, which isn't exactly true. 
unless you want to make the connection with things that happened at the end of that game to what's going on Future Connected as, like, a side effect. Maybe. I haven't played... I've only played, the f- like, the first few minutes of Future Connect. Well, uh, the weird things about it are uh, that uh, Shulk apparently can't see the future anymore, even though he had no problem with it during the fight with Sansa. <laughs> So you see the true Monado, you should be able to continue using it. Why you got this thing? Well, didn't he throw the? Didn't he get rid of it at the end of that battle? At the end of the game? Uh, he might have used it to recreate the reality they lived in, though. So maybe that's why he doesn't have it. Yeah. They never were clear on that, though. Like if he actually had to lose it, but yeah, it's true because it kind of just goes right into the like the ending after that, and there's not really a lot of explanation of specifics of what happened. But um, which it didn't it didn't need to at the time, but I guess now that you're doing like a, a an epilogue thingy, I guess they could have. And you've got a. Uh... Only specific characters. You've got stand-ins for uh, Charla and Ryan, but um, other than you've got Melia, which I didn't really use because as versatile as she is, she doesn't have the damage output I usually need in a fight. Yeah. But um, instead of chain attacks, you got this weird system where you could either. Attack an enemy for lots of damage if you especially get to get the bonus turns, or you attack an enemy and then you heal everybody, or you attack an enemy and then they all get stunned. But like you have to get nope on <laughs> prawn specters, prod specters, um, that you have to do quests for to, to get them in your party, they'll just follow you along screen. So you have like 12 of these guys. And they'll do additional damage over time, too. It's kind of weird. And, like, I ended up playing on casual mode because all the enemies are, like, level 60-something, and I feel like the game's harder than it needs to be because of this. Because, like, your character's levels aren't always matched, and there's lots of other enemies that, like, like to join in fights, and fights yeah. become unmanageable at that point. Well, I mean, for an epilogue like that, I, I feel where you're not even starting with like the characters that you built up through the entirety of the game, I'm not sure I'd... I mean, I, I'm... I would we'll probably dump, jump down difficulty if I... Uh, and I read that it takes like 20 hours when I felt only like 9 to me, because... That's fine to me. <laughs> unless there's like a lot of post future connected King content that unlocks after you beat the scenario. I've got my doubts. Yeah. But, like, there'd be a bunch of meaningless side quests that don't mean much to me. But, um, other than that, it's, it's a, like, the main game's great remastered. Yeah. But, um, the other thing I've been playing lately is CrossCode. Oh, I've heard good things yeah. about that. Is that out? Yeah. Um, no, not until the ninth. Okay. But, um, I think the embargo lifted, but even if it hasn't, I could just be talking about the PC version because I think embargoes for ports of games that have already been out is kind of (laughs) dumb. Yeah, that's a little silly. 
like the the only thing I could like see an embargo for is like things that are specific to the Switch version, like the fact that I think it has performance issues. But I don't know if the other version of the game that's out now has performance issues too, because I, I I can't tell if it's like a them trying to emulate the MMO environment too hard and it just doesn't work because it's still performance loss or if just actual performance loss because like when there's too many sprays on the screen the game lags a bit that's something the Switch shouldn't really be having a problem with on a 2D game unless there's a memory leak somewhere which could be the case in which case the game will get patched hopefully but the thing that bothers me the most about the game is that um, the map system is pretty much useless because um, you don't get icons and where like quest markers are or treasures that you've run across so going back and looking for them is a chore and also has a east like experience system where you get a thousand experience points to gain a level, and the higher your level, the diminishing returns on experience you get for fighting an enemy are. I'm always good with that system. But at least when you highlight the shortcut button, um, the game will tell you the levels of the enemies you're fighting. So you know where to grind. But, like, yeah, I think the game would be immensely better if they let me just know where to go for a quest because I don't think you can even set an active quest it's just you get a bunch of quests and then you try to do them it's like for as much as the game borrows from Xenoblade it's kind of odd that those are our missions but like it also got to big old under energy since it's got puzzles up the wazoo (laughs) and you're going to spend a good deal of time just solving those puzzles and the dungeons. But yeah, otherwise, it's a fun game. But I recommend lowering the enemy damage modifier to 60% because I feel like they hit too hard in this game. And there's no invulnerability times. Any like, combos you, you could die. Hmm. So it's a good way of mitigating the damage you'll take. But, um,. Also, also, I'm going to say it also reminds me of Wonder because the main character doesn't talk because of plot reasons. Also, they're amnesiac, so it has a bunch of JRPG tropes. But, um, it's all I've really been playing. I, I tried to play some Soccer Wars, but now I have a bunch of stuff to play again. Yeah, that'll happen. But, um, I don't know how I'm going to get the money to buy Catherine and Deadly Premonition 2 and Origami King. Or Curse of the Moon 2, which... At least that'll only be like 15 bucks. I think the first one was 10. Yeah, that sounds alright. Yeah, so maybe the second one will be the 10. But it's co-op this time. And, and I tweeted this earlier, but it's like... I know that Dale Morris had something to do with the Corgi character. But, um, that's all I really wanted to say. 
Um, I hope you can enjoy your 4th of July. Although, um, please try not to set off fireworks because that might trigger people. I really hate oh. fireworks. There's going to be people, fireworks. People I've already heard fireworks here. Today, and it's not even 4th of July yet, so. Yeah, I heard some last night. There, I won't be able to avoid the sound of it. It's just, uh, something I'll have to live with. <laughs> Although, like, there is a movie called Fireworks that's an anime, and it was all right. <laughs> it has nothing to do with fireworks, almost. So. But why is it called? Listen, Hanabi why, is important. What? The fireworks part, I think, is what it's alluding to, and the fact that there are some things that happen that are kind of like like pyrotechnics at work. But um. A movie that, another movie involving fireworks that you should check out is uh, um, Ride Your Wave. I don't think that's on streaming anywhere yet, though. It should be within the next couple months, though. But um, have a good weekend. See you guys later. <laughs> See you. Good to hear from you. So that leaves us to slay the spire. With one last conclusion. What no? <laughs> to slay the spire? No. Deck building is for nerds. Um Ex- yeah, yeah, well yeah. <laughs> deck building is for bad nerds. Oh, you're terrible. I'm sorry that deck building is not fun. Um yeah, questions go in the usual places, the comment section or the podcast section of the Discord. Otherwise, see you, Space Cowboys. See you. Oh.